Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Jake Bush. Jake currently resides in Southern Ohio and is known for capitalizing on some giant big woods bucks in the early season. We discussed the story of his mammoth 2019 Ohio buck, scouting plans for early season, secondary food sources, wind mapping, thermals, and hunting hub systems. The podcast is brought to you by the Spartan Forge app, and it utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic, and state research. The new app will include GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, offline dependability, deer prediction, weather updates, journal entries, and much more. The app will be available in the App Store at any time, hopefully by the time you're listening to this. They've had a minor issue with the new approval changes last week, but like I said, it literally should be live at any time now. Those things have been worked out. So you can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 25% off the Spartan Forge app at spartanforge.ai. Tethered is a company that is founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They have mobile hunting gear options for all types of hunters and continue to push the envelope. To learn more about Tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are back with a lifetime, no-fault warranty, and an incredible customer experience. I'm currently using the B3 8x30 binoculars on all my whitetail hunts. It's super lightweight, making you feel like they're not even there, and does really well in low light for the size. You can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. So, uh, I'm excited to uh, for you to listen to this podcast with Jake Bush. This one is full of information. It is a really, really deep dive. Uh, you know, I t- talked about wind and thermals in uh, the Mountain Buck Monday episode last week, and this one is like full-on detail, getting into the weeds, talking about scenarios, how Jake is using these things, how he's testing them, and how he's capitalizing on some really big deer in the early season in the big woods in southern Ohio. So I I think that this episode will help a lot of people out. And um, I I know that listening to Jake, you know, he taught me uh, a lot and some things to think about. So I hope that helps you just as well. Uh, I was out... Got out doing some scouting a little bit after work this week, and man, I went into an area I was planning on pulling my cameras, and uh, just because I needed more cameras, and I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to hunt this area this year. I'm just going to pull my cameras out and focus them on the areas I'm at. Well, one camera in particular was just incredible i had some some giant deer a lot of good deer and 
I know the area really well, so it makes me hard. And I didn't, I didn't look at the card until after I got home. So I'd already pulled all the cameras except for I ended up leaving one out. But uh, I feel like I need to get back in there and put some more up. If it, if not anything, just to learn um, because it's. It's always been a really good spot, super difficult to hunt, um, kind of some flatter big wood stuff, but I just, I don't know. I might have to put, <laughs> might have to put a little more time in there than I, than I expected. So, uh, getting excited opening day of Pennsylvania deer season, archery season is this Saturday, October 3rd, which is exciting. So good luck to everyone that's doing that. Or if you're in Michigan or any of the other States that are opening up around that October 1st timeline, you know, good luck to you. I hope everyone has a, a safe first day. I'm really not even sure what my plan is yet. At this point, I have about five options in my head and what I'm thinking about doing. I just, I really don't know. So, uh, which this is, is, isn't out of the ordinary there. A lot of things are going to come into play. Um, just don't have any really good primary food sources that, um, I know the bucks are hitting. Um, got some secondary ones that some beach nuts and stuff that are falling in particular areas that seem to be doing okay with the cameras and some logging cuts, but just not, not, you know, that smoking gun, like a white Oak tree or an apple tree or something, you know, none of those in, in my current spot. So could, could branch out a little bit, but, um, I'm not going to get a whole lot of time to hunt early season, which isn't out of the ordinary. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to give it my best at the beginning, do a lot of scouting and, and get ready for the time that, that I get the most time to hunt, which is, you know, closer to the rut. So anyways, uh, other news, the rut hats are available. I think I announced that last week, but they're available on the website. And just a reminder, all the apparel and really any, well, actually anything on my website that I have up there, I donate 3% back to conservation organizations and so I have different ones, you know, whether it's NDA, which is what, who I'm donating to this quarter, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, which is last quarter and, um, NWTF, there's a bunch of different organizations that I'll donate to depending on the quarter. And it says it on the website who I'm donating it to. So I've been doing that from day one, even when I wasn't making any money on it, but, uh, I really appreciate the support on it. If you like the stuff, buy it. If you don't like it, that's fine. You don't need to buy it, but uh, check it out. That rut hat is definitely my favorite one that I've come out with to date. And so pretty excited about that. Uh, and with that being said, uh, just one last word from go wild. And don't forget with the go wild app, you can save 10% off of all of the gear. My gear list is over there by using the code East meets West. And with that being said, enjoy the podcast. When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking GoWild rewards as you share content because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. All right, we're live. Jake Bush, welcome to the show. 
Yeah, thanks for having me, Bo. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you and I started talking before we um, recorded here, and I think we talked for a good twenty minutes about deer hunting. I was like, you know, what? we should we should probably uh, start recording here. But the stuff we were talking about was information that can't be can't be leaked. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Kind of on the private side a little bit. That's all right. A little confidential, but yeah, I've been. Uh, I reached out to you a little while ago on Instagram, but I've had, I have a list of people I want to interview like that I want to reach out to. And I've had your name on the list for about a year now, if not more. And, and I finally just got around to, uh, reaching out to you to, to get on the show. So I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Same to you, man. Thanks again. And you know, I've listened to your podcast for a long time and followed for quite a while. And we kind of grew up in the same roots, you know, before we started the podcast, grew up in within probably 45 minutes of each other to an hour of each other. So yeah. a lot of the same kind of tactics and style. And I mean, it should be interesting for sure. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Cause that, that was one of the things I noticed from just watching your Instagram posts and everything. And, and I purposefully didn't listen to you on any other podcast. Cause I wanted to kind of have, didn't want anything skewed and ask you, you know, some of the, the questions are geared towards how other people did. So, but anyways, your posts, like I was like, man, this guy, hunts similar to the way I do. He thinks about things in such an intuitive way that I'm like, I need to. And I, and then you scouted with Johnny Stewart and Johnny's like, yeah, Jake is in Johnny's term. Jake knows his shit, you know? And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, Jake, let's start off by just kind of giving a background, you know, kind of, um, some of where you came from and how you got to where you're at now. Yep. So I'm Jake Bush. Uh, I grew up in Southwestern New York. So pretty much right on the Pennsylvania border. Um, basically a mix of hill country and a little bit of farm country as well. I grew up really hunting with my dad and my grandpa, and it was mainly on private land, but we did dabble in the public a little bit. Back then, you know, 20 years ago, the public to me, like it had a stigma about it. Like there was no good bucks on public. So I grew up with that mentality. And, uh, really just hunted like, you know, ladder stands, or we would go put bolts in a tree and bolt a tree stand in like a homemade tree stand into a tree. And, um, that evolved into a climber eventually. And then I started being more successful. I, uh, remember growing up, I'd skip like days of school and not tell anybody and throw my summit Viper on my back and just go, I mean, I'd go out in the woods and I killed some deer like that. I ended up killing some good bucks like that. And it really started clicking for me pretty early. Um, and it's, it's just been, you know, this ever growing passion since then. And I know that probably everybody listening to the podcast, I know that you definitely understand that where it just, it builds and builds and builds and you just find yourself like more consumed with it. And it's, it's unbelievable, but yeah, so that's where I'm at now. I, uh, made a decision a couple of years ago to move to Southern Ohio, kind of on a whim. So I worked at a factory in New York. I quit my job one day and sold my house and dove down here on public to chase big bucks and i've been doing it ever since yeah that no that that story is is so awesome that you're just like i want to chase bigger bucks and i'm just gonna do it and you just risked it and went for it and i think that's that's awesome in its own right there yeah it was crazy man it just felt like the reward from that that year specifically was just unbelievable i mean did i scout really hard yes and did i put a ton of effort into it yes but to have a almost 190 inch deer walk by you at 30 yards on a 95 degree day, like the second day of October 
was just insane. I mean, it just seemed like the stars aligned. It was like, yeah, you did the right thing. Here you go. Here's your buck and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. It was crazy. So that was in what, 2019? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I moved down June of 2019 and I killed him day two of season. Man, that's that's incredible. So like to walk through the story of that that deer and kind of what what happened with that before we start going deep in some of the other stuff. Yep, so just like you would tackle an out of state hunt, like I basically said, "Hey, I'm moving down here. I've uh e-scouted a little bit of Lake Southern Ohio, but not a whole lot, and I really up to that point focused on like the northeastern section of Ohio, uh just because it was like closer proximity to home, but so I moved down here, I got a little apartment and I spent every waking moment, basically e-scouting and then going to that spot and putting boots on the ground. I was very specific about the spots that I was picking. You know, I was looking for, um, mainly like the leeward side of these big ridges because I figured there'd be more deer over there. I was looking for like hard to access spots because I had this thing in my head where Ohio had like a ridiculous amount of pressure, which come to find out it doesn't really have as much pressure as I thought it would which is great. And, uh, yeah, I just put boots on the ground, man. I put like, I don't know, between let's say three and 500 miles of boots on the ground in a couple of months. I mean, I was just every day going out after work, before work on my days off, I spent all my time out there and I located a ton of good deer right away. I had, I think like five or six cameras total that year. And they all just had giant bucks on them. (laughs) Um, it was, it was crazy, man. So we were coming up to September and I was like, I have all these good bucks already, but you know, in my head, I, I can't have enough backup plans. And I like, even if I have everything set in stone, I have like, let's say I have a hundred deer to target and it's September 1st. Like I still have a couple of weeks to go out and scout around and just see if I can find anything else. That's just the way I kind of work. So I picked one more spot and I went in there and I checked it and I, uh, walked a bunch of ridges. I, I basically circled way around this ridge system. I put on uh, just over 10 miles that day total, just bouncing up and down every leeward ridge point that dumped off of this main ridge. And it was unbelievable. I got to the last ridge and it was like this sign just lit up. I mean, there was big tracks, there was fresh rubs. And I remember looking up on a hillside and, and just saying like, wow, that's one of the biggest rubs that I've ever seen fresh, like first or second week of September. And that to me, I, you know, I'm, I'm not used to that at all coming from New York. I'm yeah. like, what is going on here? And so, uh, it had a re- it was actually a really good betting point and they would like funnel off it. So I just walk up to investigate the rub and I look up and there's a scrape. And then I start walking towards the scrape and I look up again and it's just like giant buck out of his bed and watch him run up on the hill. And I was like, oh my gosh, that thing was unbelievable. You know, it was a huge deer and, uh, so I put a couple cameras up in there and I got out and then in the back of my head, I was like, you know, I had a Southwest wind and that buck was bedded there. Come season, the first Southwest wind I get, you bet your butt, I'm going to be sitting right on that buck. Like I'm going for him. And, uh, so season comes up day one, I had a weird wind. I mean, I had, I can't remember the specific direction. It was like a, maybe a Northwest wind. And so I went and hunted a totally different spot. It was totally different terrain. It was big, wide open, uh, public ag basically. And I had a pretty good buck in there. I worked my butt off to get in there. It took me like three hours to get set up. It was really hot. It was 95 degrees again. And all I saw was one little doe. That was it. So get down, pack up, 
go home and I'm sitting there contemplating what I want to do. And I look at the wind for the next day, Southwest. And I was like, there's no doubt in my mind. I know exactly where I'm going. I'm going after this deer. And, uh, that spot's pretty cool, man, because it, it's really difficult access from the East, even though you can access from the East, it just doesn't look like you can. It's on the edge of like more of a major road. So it's uncomfortable to park there. And then you have to park right next to a bunch of houses and it's not in the friendliest place. So you kind of get yelled at when you park there as well. Like there's all these different factors that make you not want to go to that spot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's why it's so good. And I've kind of, I've built a relationship with the locals there now where they just know it's Jake and like, they're fine with that. So it's a lot better finally. But so I went to that spot and I had never accessed from the East before, you know, I circled in from the West and went way around this ridge system to get in there. And, uh, so I access from the East and it's just nasty thick. And I get to this big, it, almost a river, but it's like a, a really wide uh, Creek, basically pretty deep. And it was cliffed out a little bit. So I just like throw myself into the water off this cliff and splash. And I'm soaked. I mean, I'm soaked from head to toe, but it's hot and it kind of feels good. And I, uh, just kept working my way up this hillside and I, so hold on one, one second. Was this in the morning or was this in the, like the afternoon? Afternoon hunt. So okay. the majority of the hunt and I do, especially early season is going to be afternoon based just because I, I feel like I have a better advantage, especially for like my style. Yep. So, you know, I, I basically bumped this buck out of his bed. I scouted a couple different beds on the way out and I'm working towards that ridge system that has those beds. And the closer I get, it's just blowing up with sign second day of October. I mean, I, I walked past a ton of scrapes. They weren't the community scrape, but they were uh, like fresh scrapes, big tracks. I'm walking past rubs. I mean, there's acorns dropping everywhere. Um, I got about halfway in and there was two coyotes down in the bottom. And I, you know, sat there and I thought about shooting one. I was like, I'm, I'm definitely not going anywhere. Like I'm not shooting these coyotes right now. I'm going to go kill this giant buck. But so I kept walking in and, uh, it took me forever to get set up. I think I left the truck at like 11 AM and I was in the tree either just before or just after three o'clock I get set up, I get my camera arm set up and I'm checking my wind to make sure my thermals are like just off where that bed's at from where he's going to come around to a specific white Oak tree. It's a single white Oak that had a scrape underneath it and a bunch of rubs within 80 yards of his bed. I mean, it's like the most prime spot you've ever seen. And, uh, I get set up just about perfect, get my camera on. I'm taking a little bit, a little bit of B-roll and I heard a squirrel chatter and a stick crack. And I look over and he's just walking directly down the hill at three 30 in the afternoon. And he, he comes down the hill and he turns right to the Oak tree. And he, he actually closed about 50 yards on me running at a dense, a dead sprint towards the Oak tree. And he gets to that Oak and I've got this on video, by the way, it's blurry, but he gets to that Oak and he puts his head down and starts eating acorns at three 30 in the afternoon. He was just all about this white Oak tree. Like he must've been up there just listening to him drop. Okay. So and, you were set up down below him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the spots that I am hunting anymore that I'm targeting are going to be like a bottom access mm -hmm. reason being is most of the spots that have like a high access, at least around here guys can just like drag a ladder stand down there. So it seems like I get a lot more local pressure. So early season, the locals will hunt it a little bit where, you know, like a lot of the spots that are bottom access, 
early season, they're not necessarily hunting it as much because they're not as mobile and they have ladder stands and they just want to drag them out in the woods and kind of set up. Yeah. Uh, now late October, early November down here, when you get all the mobile out of state guys that are just hardcore, it's a little bit different than that. Yeah. But that's one of the things I'm playing off early season at least. So yeah. So access from the bottom, I basically worked up the ridge and my thermals were rising, but I had a strong enough wind blowing directly down that drainage to where my thermals were blowing off a little bit. So, you know, the ridge runs north, south, the drainage runs east, west, and it's, it's draining out towards the east. So if you have a westerly wind and it's like the perfect direction, it'll actually just push your scent right down that drainage. As long as you don't, you know, if you get like a Southwest, it'll swirl real bad because it's cutting over the top of the ridge. Mm -hmm. But what I find in most of my spots, if it's directly in line with that drainage, you'll get a pretty good push out. And then him being bedded on that North face that was shaded, it wasn't like one of those crazy strong thermal poles that you normally get. Like on a South face, you know, you drop milkweed and it just sucks right up to the top. Yeah. On the North face, especially a really steep one like that they're, they're going to, they're going to like almost pulse up. You know what I mean? It's not steady all day. It'll like go up and come back a little bit, yep. go up and come back a little bit. And if you have enough wind to push your thermals out away from that bed, you're, you're money, you're perfect. So I just so happened to get it all right, man. He came down and it was, it was over before it even started. I mean, it was crazy. Oh man. And how, how far away was the shot? It was 33 yards, which was really at like the maximum I'm going to shoot. I mean, it was my max comfort, but I just watched this freak of a buck walk in. I mean, I, yeah. was, I was so jacked when I got my bow drawn back and I settled the pin. I was like, Oh yeah, like this is over. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I squeezed the trigger and he jumped across the ditch. Cause like we were, I was up against the end of the drainage, like the furthest uphill of that drainage. So it started to get really steep and kind of like cliff out. He jumped across that and I heard him crash on the other side. And I was just like, what just happened? <laughs> it was crazy. Oh man. That's, that's incredible. And it's so cool because that was the year, you know, you move there and it's big and you're like, all right, my decision was good. <laughs> oh yeah. I was like, man, this is like, this is just cake down here, which it is not by the way. It's, yeah. it's hard work, but, but yeah, I was, I was on cloud nine for sure, man. It was awesome. Yeah. And so, I mean, and, and the thing is too, like you're doing your scouting during the summer, which that is not easy by any means. I hate scouting during the summer. It sucks. I try not to. And, you know, <laughs> as, as hardcore as everybody is and as I like to be too, and, you know, like I'll go hunt and scout anywhere and stuff. The summertime sucks for scouting. I, I really try to get to the point where the only thing I'm doing in the summer is taking my cameras out and checking them one time before season, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to go out there and battle with spiders and ticks and snakes and everything else that's going on. And it's thick and you really can't even like, you can't even really see what's going on half the time, you know, like so much ground growth and, and just cover in general. And, uh, it doesn't set up the best. Now, if you have to do it, that's totally different. Yeah, You know, if you have to, but you can tailor your scouting for that too. And that was the thing that I really tried to do that year was I really tried to focus on actually bumping bucks because it's hard to scout beds. Then it's hard to scout like trails or sign or even scrapes during the summer, unless you're on a big hub scrape because they're just, they don't show up. So the one thing I really tried doing is I would get up on top of these leeward ridges or if it had 
like a typical military crest or like a logging road in the upper third. And I would just walk it real slow and purposely bump the bucks down in the bottom and glass them. And, you know, that was how I was locating a lot of deer that year. Just huh. how can I put this together as quickly as possible? You know, I don't have my putting and spring scouting, which for me is huge. Yeah. So, so not having that, it was just like on the fly. Yeah. I'll, I guess I'll go bump them off the ridges and see what's there. Oh, that's, that's such an interesting strategy. And when, when you were, when you saw that buck that day, did you notice that white oak tree or was that something you found that, that, that afternoon when you hiked in? Yeah, I didn't, I did notice it. It was, uh, it was actually starting to drop then and there was already sign around it, but I was scouting basically all the way up through that ridge system on my way out too. like, I had to go up and over that ridge anyways to get out of there. So I was really looking for like what I call secondary food sources. So the, like that spot is very obvious where the primary food sources are like the destination food source. Like it's a private ag field. Like that's where they're headed at night. That's where every deer wants to be. And same thing with like a big white Oak flat sometimes like, yeah, that's the primary. There's no doubt about it. And they're willing to travel further to get to that point. But what secondary food sources are they going to hit along the way? You know, is it like a single white oak or is it just even like a briar patch? Are they going down in the hub and just eating some greenery that's growing in like a wet spot? You know, you can find these little, like a pot of gold almost that they hit. And it seems like in my experience, a mature buck is much more likely to go to a secondary food source than he is like in daylight than he is the primary food source. He just, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be there in daylight. But some of these hidden oak trees or hidden briar patches that are within like a hundred yards of bedding, it's, it's money, even early season. I mean, even when it's hot, you know, first couple of days of season, I see them coming to those. Yeah. And it's, and one of the, that's where I guess that, that scouting the time of year you're doing helps too with finding those lone oak trees and which ones are dropping. Cause that's tough. Like when you find an area that's got, you know, a bunch of oak trees or anything else, it's tough to figure out what trees are dropping and everything else, unless you're just walking it all and checking it out. And do you, do you ever like, do you ever carry binos with you and look up into the trees or anything like in the summertime trying to find acorns? I do, but I'm like probably the worst person in the world at spotting them. I'll walk right on, like right under a tree that's loaded and I'm looking up and I can't find these darn things. <laughs> I struggle like, I'll with find it a, too. <laughs> I'll find it. So the things that I try to do are uh, like, you know, I'll put my cameras out and let's say June, right? And I'll let them soak until September because a lot of the areas I'm in, they're not even going to be in that area until the acorns are dropping. Like they're down on the private ag fields or they're in like the clear cut that's nearby. They're not necessarily in the spots that I want to kill them in, but I know they're going to get to that area. Yep. So what I do is put the cameras out and then September comes around. I check all my cameras in September. This year it took me seven trips and and ridiculous amount of boots on the ground, check them all. But I make sure that those are almost like scouting days. So I'll use them for wind mapping, like real-time wind mapping, because you got the leaves on, you got, you know, hopefully a pretty decent prevailing wind that day. Um, you should have like the same thermals you're going to see based on a, a ton of different factors because thermals are just endless. And, uh, I'll, so I'll, I'll wind map on the way in and then I'm looking for acorns dropping. And if I can hit that, like if I can hit, you know, where I have cameras up on this Ridge after like a windy day, say we have a storm roll through and I can just find green acorns on the ground. 
that's easier for me than looking up in the trees and trying to find them with binoculars. Yeah. I'm just terrible at it. <clears throat> and then, and then on the flip side of that, like the real time Intel and season, that's something I really pay attention to. So when I'm going into setup, you know, you're, you're scouting your way in, you're looking for sign and everything else. One thing I do, I'll leave my house at like 11 AM, even like 10, 11 AM. I'll get to my spot around noon or one. And I'm only afternoon hunting, but I let my setups take like three or four hours sometimes. And the reason I'm doing that is I'm going extremely slow. I'm looking for not only all the sign out there, but I'm listening for acorns dropping in the, in the hills. And so, or I'm listening for squirrels, you know, the squirrels give it away a lot. Yeah. So I'll just kind of sit there. I mean, I'll, I'll stand in a spot for a half hour with my stand on my back and just wait. And I'm like, okay, yeah, there's acorns raining up there on that hillside. Southwest wind today. He should be bedded on one of those three betting points. I'm going to work my way that direction. Oh man, look at that. Like there's a scrape right under that Oak tree or look at all these rubs right here. You know, like that's how I'm putting the pieces together in like real time. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, that's, that's super interesting. And, and the, the point that you said there about, uh, wind mapping is so important. Like that's, that's an something I don't know if anybody will ever learn a hundred percent except for, for a specific area. Even then you still learn something every time you're in the woods, but you know, I'm like, I, I was out this past weekend and I was doing that, just dropping milkweed as I was going in different spots and trying to learn how it was working and looking at what the prevailing winds were doing and all those things. And, and there's so many different factors when it comes to wind and thermals. And so how are you remembering, you know, say you, you're, when you say you're doing this wind mapping, how, how are you going about that? I guess. So as far as like documenting it, I'll, I'll, I'll write down a lot of stuff, but I do keep a lot of just electronic logs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll create spreadsheets on it. I'll do whatever app I'm using at the time. I have a couple different apps I use based on where I'm at or like the specific maps that they offer. Mm -hmm. And I'll log a bunch of different things in there. Um, but basically I'm what I, what my goal is, is in these spots that I find that are like hub systems that hold multiple mature bucks, they don't get a lot of pressure. They have, you know, a decent food source, like year round where those deer are always there. Those are my primary areas. And as I'm doing these camera polls and checks every year, one thing I want to try to do is like every year I'm pulling a camera, I want to check those cameras on a different wind direction for that day. So like, say that I have Wednesday off, I work 12 hour shifts. I have Wednesday off and Wednesday's a West this year. Well, next year I want to try to go wind map that spot on the opposite wind. You know, like that's one thing I'm doing. And it's not only in the summertime, you know, I'm wind mapping in my winter scouting. I'm wind mapping in my spring scouting and then all my real time hunting. I mean, that's, that's the best you're going to get right there is like October 2nd, you're working your way through the woods and you can remember all these things. And you're sitting in the stand. Like a lot of guys play with their phone, write some notes, like take some notes down yeah. about what your wind's doing. And like you said, it's, it's endless. And that's one of my favorite parts of deer hunting. And it might be my favorite part of like the entire chess match is I want to get as good at wind and thermals and beating a buck's nose as possible. And, you know, I, we, we all break it down by all these factors, you know, like how much leaf cover do you have when that stops dropping? How does it change? how much sunlight hits on a sunny day versus cloudy day, the steepness of the ridges, you know, um, there's, is there a mudslide? Is there fallen trees? Is there, 
like, is it a five mile an hour wind? Is it a dead day? Like dead calm day? Is it a 30 mile an hour wind? And there's all these different factors that just change that, you know, and then you can start playing it once you get pretty good at it, where you can be like, Hey, you know, I know this buck's bedded on this Northeast facing point of this Ridge with a Southwest wind. And I've got another point that faces Northwest right next to it. And I know he's going to come down that Ridge. Like I'm going to get up on that Northwest facing point. That's to the East of him a little bit and let my thermals rise throughout the day up that other Ridge. So I don't have to wait until right at dark to like, you know, right at kill time to go in and set up because my thermals are dropping. My thermals are pulling up the Ridge next to him. Yeah. You know, like you start playing all these little things out in your head and putting them together. And that to me is, that is so much fun. Like I enjoy it so much that, uh, that that's, that's what I focus on more than anything probably. Yeah. And no, that's, it's so, uh, it's, it is so fun to be able to do that. And I love taking notes like that and creating spreadsheets and figuring and same thing. I'm in the sand, I'm always logging stuff and I'm looking back if I have, if I do have service or if I don't, I'll like even, um, I'll download, like I'll use Google sheets, um, for it so I can download it and I can look at it while I'm in there and I'm reviewing cause I log all my trail camera data and all that stuff. And just, I don't know, I get geeked out on those types of things and being able to understand it. And the wind is something that's just, it's like you said, it's, you're always learning about it. But once you find things like you were saying, like you found this Ridge that had some of these things, you can find another spot that's pretty similar and at least have a really good guess going in there of what you can expect. And then, and then just as you're, you know, scouting your way in, be able to kind of play that. Yeah. The replication and it, you know, that doesn't really sound cool. Like it's not like you're going out and running gun in different spots all the time. Like I find a hub system that works for me based on these factors. And how many times can I replicate it? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I'm really looking for. I want to replicate what works. And like you said, you have a pretty good understanding when you go into it, what you're going to be faced with, whether it's factors from the animal factors from wind factors from pressure. Um, but yeah, the cool thing about thermals too, too, man, is like, it's, it's humbling. You know, last year I was hunting this spot and I hunted it a couple times Um, I ended up killing my deer last year there, but I was targeting just a giant typical buck on a Southwest wind day, like typical Southwest wind drainage runs to the Northeast. I've got it all figured out. Right. And I go in there and the wind velocity was higher that day. I think it was like 18 to 20 miles an hour, pretty windy day. And instead of blowing my scent out of the drainage, like it normally does, I get in there and I get set up and I have the perfect perfect setup. Right. And this buck's bedded above me, like in my head, he's for sure there. He actually was there and he starts working his way down a little bit. I mean, I have eyes on him and that velocity picked up as the night went on, which is kind of, kind of strange, but it picked up Yeah, and it created a vacuum and it took my scent from that hub from down below and sucked it right up the ridge to him directly up to him. And this is like a five, six year old wiry Boone and Crockett, typical buck on public. And I listened to that deer snort 300 times. I mean, it was just like the most <laughs> heartbreaking thing I've ever done. I was yeah. pissed, man. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, they'll they'll teach you. Uh, and and it's and it's so hard. Like when you have those those scenarios, like there's nothing you could have done different. Like you know, like there's yeah, there's nothing. No. It's just at that point you chalk it up as kind of a loss and a learning lesson, and that's what it is. You know. And do you, do you find, do you find those bucks, um, 
consistent with some of their betting based off of those wins and on those ridges? I do. Yeah. And it's, it's extremely consistent. Are you talking about like the wind based betting? Yeah. 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 100%. So do I think that bucks bed on the windward side of a ridge as well? Like, yes, I do. I, I think that there's deer out there that do that to me. They're harder to target unless you're coming in from like an upper access, you know, especially I'm hunting bowl systems, right? So if you have a windward facing bowl and you have, let's say it's facing West and you have a West wind, all the wind is just funneling right into that bowl. And then the thermals take it and it just sucks right up to them. So I, I don't even target those. What I'm targeting is the, for, for the specific day, the leeward ridges, and I'll have situations in each area that set up for just about every wind. The only one that's kind of tough for me is like an East wind and some spots and North winds kind of tough too. But, um, yeah, you know, they're doing the typical bed generally in the upper third, but that's not always the case. Um, wind at back looking down the hill with some sort of cover nearby and they will shift based on like a specific direction. They'll shift based on velocity. And the one thing I'm really trying to get a lot better at is their like the predicting their movement out of that bed based on those wind factors or like a switch going on. So, you know, it seems like these, these really wiry hill country bucks, like if they get, say you're in a stand in West wind all day. Right. And then all of a sudden that whole hub, like you get a six o'clock East wind and it's forecasted like that. Like it switches 180 degrees on you. Seems like every time I get that and I'm in the stand and I get caught, that buck comes down. Like as soon as the wind shifts and he can smell his whole hub and that whole drainage, he's like, I'm going to go eat some acorns. And so he'll come down way earlier, but if he didn't have that advantage, he'll stay up in his bed until the last 10 or 15 minutes of daylight. You know, so like, I feel like I'm really getting the beds dialed in, but it's the movement out of the beds that I want to really focus on. And there's just some cagey old bucks that I don't know if you can figure it out very well. They just, they've got, they've got a system and it's unbelievable but I'm that buck last year taught me more about hill country, chasing him around. I, uh, I normally don't do this. I normally will like bounce around a different deer, but I hunted him like 20 sits last year. And I had four encounters with him at less than 80 yards, three at less than 60 yards. I could not kill him. I mean, I was on that deer and he just, every time I'd see him, he had an advantage on me. And it was just unbelievable to witness that, um, Day two, it was actually day two again. Day two, I had him come down and I had him basically do the same thing. I had the east wind shift that I was just telling you about. He smelled me and blew up the ridge. And I had, I was so bummed out. I had a 150 walk right by me at like seven yards. And I just couldn't even, I was after this giant buck. You know, he just busted me and that's the deer that I wanted. And I let this other buck walk by, which I would have gladly shot like any other time, you know, I let him walk by and I'm kicking myself in the butt for it. But, but yeah, so he's alive too. And that's going into this year. That's one of the things I'm really excited about. I didn't run cameras in there. I've stayed out of that area. I I didn't drive down and scout it at all, but I think I'm going to throw some sits at it early season if I have a tag still. Yeah. Oh man. That's that, that's incredible. And, and the fact that you saw him four different times is incredible in its own. Like that just, that doesn't happen very often, especially on a deer of that caliber. And I mean, you're on, on his wheelhouse there. He just, but if you got to think about it, a buck that's say five, six, seven years old, 
every single day of their life, they're learning something and trying to figure out how to survive. You're definitely going into it with the odds not necessarily in your favor. <laughs> oh, exactly. And, you know, that like the difference between that buck and that 150 that walked by me, you know, probably a, I would say he was a three year old last year. That 150 was probably a three year old, but he got up out of his bed and just came right down the pipe all nonchalant. You know, he didn't care at all. But this cagey old buck on top of the ridge was just was so much smarter than that deer. It was unbelievable. So just like having those, you know, those valuable lessons in season um, and like kind of a kind of a tangent, too, is, you know, I have all those lessons because I preach this a lot, but I have all those lessons because generally I'm like really aggressive with my sits. You know, I know where they're bedded. I I'm not going to target a deer. I can't get within like a hundred yards of, I just, especially early season, I won't do it. I don't feel like he's ever going to move that far. So generally I'm taking a lot of time to get in there. I'm being really quiet. I'm taking forever to get up the tree and get set up. And I'm trying to get within like 50 to 80 yards of these beds, sometimes even closer than that. And it's insane. And it's pushing the limit. And a lot of times I screw it up, but I have all these lessons and I can have, you know, multiple encounters with big bucks like that because I'm, I'm in their bedroom. I'm, I'm right on them. Yeah. And you know, if they move a little bit, I'm moving with them. Like I'm going to follow this deer around find a sign again and get back on him. And it might take me a while, but I'll, I'll get him again. And, uh, you know, like yeah, it all works out. You, you pass, you kill him. Like now you have that knowledge that you gained and that experience, but what's even better than that, when you fail, you have, you learn so much more. Yeah. Like I said, I learned, I learned more from four encounters last year than i've learned in years of successful early season hunts yeah i mean because if you would have killed them on the first time you wouldn't have all those other lessons that you get I, that's what i keep telling myself when it's uh when it's a long season i'm like well i'm learning a whole lot you know <laughs> it makes you feel better too right yeah like, yeah that's why <laughs> yeah you just lay there in bed you're like you know what it's not my fault i was just trying to learn i'm just trying to learn some more <laughs> yep, <exactly. laughs> no it's um it's it's interesting, you know, with uh, find like what what I'm learning from just talking to you is like you know how you're keying in on these you like these bull systems and you're keying in on those specific spots. There's another um, friend of mine that I have that is, is different tactics but similar strategy on the fact that he hunts based off of areas, types of things that he wants. He's like, there could be a really big buck in this flat, big wood setting that I'm not going to even try to hunt because I there I can't figure it out where there's a certain type of area that I like to hunt and I know they're killable in those types of areas if things go correctly and focusing on that. And I've taken that a lot into what my strategy has been um, the last couple of years. And I was like, you know, I love clear cuts and there was a, a while that I was hunting areas that didn't have them that was some big um hill country that was just all more old growth forests and different stuff and I was like I, I like the clear cuts and these are things that you know that I feel more confident in so I moved kind of that sort of direction and it's just it's it's finding those things and being able to uh, you know replicate it sort of deal in, in different areas. I mean, and you, you said you know you're hunting a lot of different areas this year, and are you finding consistent some you know similar type terrain and places that you've been finding the last couple of years? So the the big thing I took away from that too that you just said was the confidence thing, right? Like 
you know, you're confident in a specific tactic or a specific terrain and you're basing everything you do around that. And when you have that confidence, you know, you're scouting different, you're hunting different, you're, you're attacking that animal different. And it just like, you kind of get in your groove, you know what I mean? Where like, this is my thing. And back to the, back to the replication thing. Um, so for me this year, I basically moved away from where I was living before. So I moved about an hour, uh, to the East and I'm not targeting the same area as I was as much. So I really tried to go into it with an open mind. You know, I, I did a bunch of e-scouting and I marked like every good hub that I wanted anyways. Like I marked them all. I'm like, okay, there, I have 77 hubs. I want to check this year yeah. within an hour of my house, but I'm going to take a couple of the really close areas and I'm going to grid search them. And that was, uh, you know, I didn't go into it with like the leeward mindset or with the really even the betting mindset. I went into it with, I'm going to cover every inch of ground and try to figure out a different type of terrain. And I learned a lot and I found some good bucks. I found a lot of good sheds doing that, but I'm targeting what I'm confident in. Like I'm going to, there's no doubt in my mind, I'm going to do the confidence thing. Now I think that, you know, say that I found 10 good bucks, like in that I would shoot. Say I find 10 that I would shoot, but I find one that's just like an a huge deer, like 20 inches bigger than the other ones, like some seven-year-old buck that's a giant and he's in a different type of terrain. Like I'm going to go try to kill that deer. I'm definitely going to go in there, but if they're all similar, I'm going to do what I think I can be the most efficient at. Yep. And you know, that comes back to like the traveling bow hunter thing too. Like we, we both travel around now quite a bit. You do more than me and I'm, I'm really trying to get up to that level and move around a lot more. And, uh, I want to be as efficient as possible in my home state and tag out as quickly as possible on the biggest buck I can find. So I can go have fun in other States, you know, so I can go learn to be a rut hunter and I can go do like a late season hunt somewhere and go up to, you know, Pennsylvania with you guys and and hunt up there and just like kind of mix it up a little bit. Yeah. So I, I feel like I can be the most efficient with what I'm trying to master than like trying to just learn something new down here. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. It's, uh, it's such a, it's funny because you're saying like, excuse me, you're saying you want to learn to be a rut hunter, which most people, that's like what they do. You know, that's a lot of what my strategies are around and you've kind of figured out or, you know, become really successful at the, some of the hardest stuff in the big woods, which is the early season. And that's, that's something to, you know, be proud of there. Cause if you can, you can get something killed in that early season and be able to move around to those other States. Like that's, that's pretty awesome. And, and when you're okay, so <clears throat> say you went into this, a spot like, um, where you got that Southwest wind and you think that buck's bedded there and you go there and you don't see them. How, how are you going to go back to that spot the next time on that same wind thinking that he could still be there and something else happened or you going to, are, are you switching trees a lot? So I'm definitely switching trees. I don't hunt the same tree barely ever. And that's, that's based on the sign I'm finding real time as well. Like, you know, if I go in there, I don't see him, but I found I'm up in my stand and I'm like glassing because I'm always looking for something else. I'm always trying to keep my eyes out in front of me. And I find like, man, there's a scrape on that Ridge coming down. Like I'll go target that next time. If that sets up for a westerly wind instead of a Southwest wind. Um, but a lot of times, like I'll target these hub systems on different wind days as well. You know, like you'll get a West, you'll get a Southwest, 
you'll get a South. Like those are totally different betting locations for a lot of the deer I'm targeting. They're, you know, they're a hundred yards down that Ridge system on a different like micro point that sticks up off that Ridge. So I'm always constantly bouncing around. Um, the only, the only thing that will really turn me off of an area is if I like blow out a deer, if I bust him out and he smells me, like I probably won't go back in there for a couple of days at least. Yeah. Now, if I bump him and he doesn't smell me, like if I just soft bump him walking in, that's a different situation. And that's Intel for me to go back in the next day. And it's, it's situational, man. You know what? Yeah. It's, it's very situational. Um, yeah, it, it just, it really depends. I mean, yeah. You know, it's, it's, that is hard to, hard to put a hard, you know, a hard rule of thumb or whatever that you're going to do with it. Cause like you said, everything is situational, but will, will you explain for anyone listening? Cause I, I realized that some, we might take it for granted what a hub system is, you know, for anybody that's listening, the best way to be able to kind of explain that. Yeah. So if you're looking at a Ridge, say that you have a Ridge system nearby the run that's like North to South. So you'll have the main ridge runs north to south and generally in like the northeastern section of the United States, like you'll have um, like sub ridges that jut out in kind of every direction, but sometimes they are more specific. Like you'll have the main ridge, like the spine, and then you'll have ridges that run like east and west, both directions. Mm -hmm. So what I'm looking for is areas that they have those ridges that jut out like east and west too but it creates more of a bowl system than just straight ridges. So it's not necessarily one drainage. So it would be like, uh, like if you picture like a, a circle almost, and then you have in every direction, you would have a ridge pouring down into that bottom into like a hub, you know, it would make like the spokes of a tire. But the one, uh, the one thing that I don't want is I don't want like a complete bowl. You know, I want it to have a drainage. So say like 270 degrees of that, of that bowl would have ridges and then it would have a Creek that runs out and preferably a Creek that runs somewhere between uh, North and East that way with the prevailing winds that we normally get like a predominant wind direction, I could hunt that spot. Mm -hmm normally when I find those hubs like that, I mean, you're going to find a lot of sign. You're going to find a hub scrape, which is the number one reason I hunt those hubs. And, uh, you're, if you're in the right area, I mean, it's just, it's loaded with deer. I have some down here on public that hold three to four mature bucks at any time. I mean, there's so many betting points and that's the other thing too. You know, the more topography and the more changes in that ridge system you can get for me, the better it is. And then add in some clear cuts add in a running stream, you know, add in hard access, start like factoring all of these together and you get, it just, it just magnifies those areas. So, uh, as far as like the one thing I'm targeting in those and the reason I really enjoy them, not only because they hold good bucks, because the ability to get inventory of those areas is great and the ability to kill over that scrape. So I'll always find like these great areas, there'll be some sort of community scrape where a buck will be bedded on like each ridge for the wind, or you might have like satellite bucks bedded on the other ridges. And they're all going to dump down normally with the lower access and the lower ag fields at night and run through that drainage. And generally you'll find like a big hub scrape. You'll find a good licking branch, put a camera on that, and you're going to have tons of bucks on that camera. You know, I've got some that have dozens of bucks every year that hit that scrape. 
a lot of times in daylight and multiple shooters and they're all kind of just keeping tabs on each other. So it's a great early season spot. It's great for the end of October. It's great for late season. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a mainly what I target. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And uh, you know, like what you're saying about, you know, them having like the main food source in the bottom that's typically, you know, ag fields um, that they're coming down. Have you ever had it where they're okay? So there's no ag fields in the bottom where they're going up to feed, like they're going up on top of the ridge or anything to feed. So I have, and that come, you know, I actually have a spot that sets up just like that and it's a clear cut system. So they're constantly logging in there. It's really thick. They actually will cross one of the saddles onto like a windward oak flat. And that's one of the big food, uh, the big uh, food sources there. And I really don't target those deer a whole lot. And I had a really good buck in there last year, like a mid sixties, 12 point. I just, I, especially on an afternoon sit or early season, I just feel like I have areas that are better odds because that's a tough hunt. Like yeah. you're going to, you know, if they're going to come up, from their beds and you're going to hunt in the afternoon, you have downward thermals. You would have to have a, a really good wind to, uh, to be able to pull that off. And they're going to be coming up towards you with probably some sort of wind advantage too. Yeah. You know, not just thermals. Like it's, it's a lot to balance. Can you do it? Absolutely. You can definitely do that. I'm sure there's guys that are awesome at it and can put it together. Once again, it comes back to that confidence thing with me. Like I, I, I know what my wheelhouse is and I just try to replicate that. Yeah. And anything no that i mean that what you said earlier with the secondary food sources like that's so huge and what what if you went into your area and say there was no acorns what what are some other food sources that you're kind of keying in on or looking at so the biggest one besides acorns that i find um in new york and ohio is greenbrier so that's like yep especially the the further into season you get like a late season situation green greenbrier is huge but i've seen bucks you know even the first couple of days of season they'll like they'll say you have a bedding point and the tree fell down and then some greenbrier grew up right there not only will they bed very close to that but they'll get up and feed on it for a while and they'll mill around in it so that's something that i target as well that's one of my big secondary food sources i'm looking for and then just like uh general greenery down in the bottoms like they'll from what I've seen, they'll eat just about anything that's green in some of these bottoms. I mean, they're not overly picky, it seems like. And uh, clear cuts. Clear cuts is another huge one. You know, there's so much just browse in general mm -hmm. that it's it's normally a great spot. And I target those a lot, too. Yeah. I mean, I see the... It, I don't have much green briar where I'm at, but a lot of blackberry briars. And it's the same same deal. And then when I was in Ohio, they had a lot of green briar. And that those... Yeah, like there's they they chew on everything with it. Like it's not just the it's not just the greenery it's on. They chew on the little thorns. They eat yep. the I mean, deer eat freaking anything, but it's like <laughs> trying to figure out what they prefer and what's, you know, kind of a concentrated, you know, food source and stuff for them. Like this year for me, the one area I I actually don't have any areas that I'm like really focus on that have acorns this year. Um, only one of the spots had oaks at all. The rest of it didn't, but beech nuts are dropping like crazy right yeah. now. And that's kind of like my secondary food source. Actually, it's even a primary in some of the, the areas that I've found that don't have, you know, any ag anywhere near 
all my apple trees lost their freaking apples already. <laughs> I was so pissed. I there's I still got a couple I got to check, but that typically hold them on a little bit longer. But it um, but yeah, just finding being able to recognize it when you're you know scouting your way in and doing things. That's when you kind of notice some of that stuff and paying attention to those different food sources. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it, I've learned like with and even a lot of areas that are more mountainous, um, oaks and acorns can just be like they can be super frustrating and super helpful at the same time, especially if you get areas that are like completely just loaded with them, and and that's where the bedding comes down to the you know trying to find the ones that are the closest and if you can find a white oak that's close to it there's just there's so many different factors that play into it and for anybody that's listening you know when when uh jake and i were sitting there kind of geeking out on thermals and if you got confused and listening to it this is just stuff you learn from doing it like just going out and playing around with your milkweed and paying attention to what the wind's doing and screwing up like you'll you'll gain this you know, the, the knowledge and the lessons learned from that, it's just a lot of time in the field. I mean, you putting on the amount of miles you put on in the year, that's how you learn this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. It's really being passionate about it. And, uh, just being a student too, you know, like it's, you, you have to want to learn it and you have to really just enjoy it. I think to really, to, to even want to pick up some of those things, you know, I know a lot of guys that are really good hunters that don't care about thermals at all. But if you want to take it to the next level, that's something that you're going to have to pick up at some point, regardless of terrain, you know, whether it's swamp terrain, farmland, uh, anything, you're going to have to deal with thermals to a certain extent. The more you learn about them, the better you're going to be. So, yeah, it's, it's being passionate, man. I mean, that, you know, you can talk to certain guys and they just have it. They've got it and they, they act a certain way and they dive into it and they scout all the time and they hunt hard and, that's what it's all about. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and thermals, yeah, are so interesting because I always, I only thought of them as much or paid attention to them in, you know, uh, country that had more exaggerated terrain or had some steeper terrain stuff. And I learned so much. I've been hunting a big woods area that's relatively flat and had some little swamps and marshy areas through it. And thermals play just as big of a role. It's just different, but it's all the same concepts. The sun's warming up or it's an open area, more sunlight's getting there. Soon as the air hits that, it goes up. You know, there's some spots, you know, people, ask a lot about how I hunt bottoms and how that's possible with every, you know, everyone says swirling winds. Well, if you get a spot that's not completely steep going down on each side, that's going to create swirling factors no matter what, but you get a little bit of a flat spot down there and you have a, a stream that's running down. Well, if you're set up literally right on top of that stream, you got downward thermals the whole entire time. Or if yeah. you're set up on an opening with a hemlock, it's got a big community scrape underneath it that opening is taking your thermals up, especially when it's cold outside, literally like all day. And, but down where the deer are coming in, it might be in their favor, but until they hit that, that opening, you're in a, you can find loopholes when it, when you start understanding how thermals work in those systems. Oh, for sure. And you know, that was one of my biggest lessons growing up too, is like, like trying to figure out thermals, you know, yeah. Hill country, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like it rises when it heats up and it falls when it cools, 
But the big wake up call for me was hunting cattail marshes. It's hunting like where they have like big ponds too. Yep. And I mean, I would get, or like a Creek, like a running stream, you know, I'd be set up downwind of a, of a deer, but the streams flowing the other way and he would cross in front of me, like upwind of me and smell me. And I was like, what the heck is going on in this spot? And I didn't even know what milkweed was back then. You know, yeah. I had like a little scent, the powder scent checker thing. Yep. And it wasn't for a long time until I was like, oh my God. And I went back in there a couple of years ago and I dropped some milkweed and it sucked right up, the, right down the creek. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. Like, this makes perfect sense. And that makes sense why he circles out of his bed that way, because he's got anything in this whole cattail marsh. Like he knows you're there Yep. immediately. Um, yeah, just, just crazy, man. And that was another big old giant buck. That was a 190 inch New York buck. Are you serious? Just, yeah. 190 inches. It might've been like 192 actually double drop time. Just beautiful swamp buck. I mean, huge deer oh, and, man. uh, yeah, just crazy. So he ended up getting shot by somebody that was a much better hunter than I, than I was at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's crazy. You can geek out on it so bad too. I mean, it's never ending. And that's why, like, when you talk about the confidence thing, like, I love hunting. If I'm hunting a bottom, like, I love hunting beaver ponds and getting set up right on the head end of the beaver pond because you got the, the winds coming down or the thermals are coming down the, the creek there and they hit that beaver pond, especially when it's cold out and the thermals go straight up. And I feel like yeah, I'm yeah. invincible. Like, there's, you're all, you're in a good spot at that point. I don't all, it's hard to find setups that, that line up exactly with that but when you can find those types of areas it's just like it clicks and like and then i i can see it and replicate it again and and you get that confidence i mean that's confidence is everything when it comes to deer hunting and i truly believe that you just you you got to be confident in your spots and feeling it and otherwise you're gonna you're gonna end up getting down pretty quick and not uh you're going to quit on yourself before you even have that, that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much that goes into the confidence thing too. And, you know, we've touched on it a couple of times, but it's, it's such an important factor, you know, like it just, just from a general hunting aspect, you know, if you go in and you're not confident in your spot or like, you're just going in to hunt for the day, you know, like you might not scout as hard on the way in, you might not do certain things where if you go in confident, like you're on it, you're going in to kill. And so I like in my head, I really try to step that up where I'll tell myself every single day I hunt like that buck 100% is bedded on that point. No doubt. Like there's, when I step out of my truck, there's no doubt in my mind he's there and I'm going to kill him. Like mm -hmm. nothing else matters. There's no, well, maybe he's here. Maybe he's here. No, I'm, I'm believing in my scouting and in the setup and what I believe in my spidey senses. And I'm going to go in and just and go after him basically. And if I screw it up, which I normally do, like once again, you learn, you know, you yeah. figured something out and, uh, it just, it makes it so much more fun too, man. I mean, the, the mobile hunting, the aggressive style is so much more enjoyable than just like going, sitting on a field edge. There's nothing wrong with that. I used to do it for a long time and I'll still hunt a field edge if a buck's coming out, but I'd rather just dive in after him, you know, and play that chess match. It's just so much fun. Yeah, it, it is too. And, and, and yeah, when you have that confidence that when you say like hundred percent, they're there and that's why like, 
actually my girlfriend got sick of me doing it last year that'd be like today's the day i'd wake up and be like i'm 100 percent killing a deer and i'd come home with nothing and she's like you <laughs> yeah. say that all the time I'm like well i truly believe it like i i think i'm gonna kill a deer that and if it doesn't happen whatever that then it is what it is i gotta do a little bit of a shift or just wasn't the wasn't the day but you gotta have that in your head going into it like i said if then if because if you go through an entire season and you start start really doubting yourself which it all it happens to all of us don't get me wrong but you got to be able to to wrap those demons up and throw them down a little bit sometimes (laughs) yeah exactly and it seems like you know like you're confident and you're confident and you're confident going through it and then you finally get beat down like when that happens generally if i can dig through that last like if i can push through that last little bit of like uncertainty it's like it happens like everything comes together and it's it's almost weird how often that happens. You know, you push yourself to that limit and then you go a little bit beyond it and you're rewarded immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I focus on too, is like that grind factor. You know, my, uh, my video last year was called the grind because not only am I doing it, but like all of us are, you know, you're doing the same thing where we're going out and grinding like all year long for one moment. We're hunting our butts off all season. You know, we're, hot, cold, it doesn't matter. We're just out there getting after it and it all comes together. It's just like an unbelievable feeling. I, and I feel bad for people that don't have like that passion that makes them like for anything doesn't have to be hunting, but like that don't get the understanding of like, I'm going to put in this ridiculous amount of time for this, this one moment. And then as soon as that moment's done, two days later, you're, you're back to try getting ready for next year. You know what I mean? Like I love, I love spring scouting when I'm walking around, like just picturing, like I'm running through scenarios in my head, what it's going to look like when this buck comes down here and hits a scrape and does, you you know, everything. Like I'm constantly visualizing these things happening and how that's, how that's going to operate. And it's, it's fun. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I'm the same way, man. It's, uh, it's ever evolving too. I mean, it's just such a challenge and it's, I don't know, I I'm complete, I'm all about it. And you know, most of us are probably the guys listening to this are the same way and just, just keep with it more than anything. You know, you don't give up on it. That's, yeah. that's a big point. Yeah. And so the one, one last thing I wanted to ask you about was trail cameras. Yeah. I know you said that at the beginning there, like when you killed that buck in 2019, you were running five cameras. Do you put a lot of weight on cameras? Do you run a lot? So yeah, I run a lot of cameras. I run just shy of 40 now. And yeah, you definitely upped your game there quickly. <laughs> and the- <laughs> yeah. And, and reason, reason being is I'm, I'm really trying to just like find as like have as much Intel as possible, you know, and you're probably the same way where I have generally a target buck and then I'll have a backup buck, but I'll also have like another 10 backup bucks yeah. just in case, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just in case there's like a forest fire here and a dog ran through the woods here and this buck got hit by a car. And I'm like, I have to have a plan because if I get to season and I don't have a plan, what am I doing? Like, what did I do for the last 360 days to prepare for season? Yeah. If I don't have some sort of plan. So I run a lot of cameras now and I'm, I'm, I'm really only looking to see if there's a deer of the class that I want to shoot in that area or basically pursue. But what I've started doing a little bit more is now that I'm running more cameras is trying to not only locate them, but fine tune my setups a little bit based on that. So I don't run any cameras on like a primary food source, you know, like a white Oak flat or an ag field. I just, 
to me, A, you're going to get 100,000 pictures. Your camera's going to die quicker. It's generally going to be nighttime photos. Like it's, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I'm, I don't run any cameras in beds, like in a specific bed, because I just don't want to bump them out of that bed. Like it's a safe spot for them. I'm going to give them their bedroom. I'm just going to hunt right next to it. So what I'm, what I'm generally targeting with my cameras is a secondary food source, like that lone white oak tree or that, uh, that briar patch, like we were talking about, um, the community scrapes is the number one thing I'm looking for. I don't have a single area that doesn't have a community scrape. If it doesn't have one, I just, I won't even hunt it. I won't even target it just because it's, it's a thing that I can really focus on. And then what I started doing this year, a little bit more is based on Steve Shirk. Actually, he gave me this idea was in between the bedding areas and like their, their feeding on the trails that lead to and from on like certain terrain features, just like throw a camera up and see how often they walk by it. So I'm trying to do that too. And just not only am I trying to locate them, I'm trying to get a little bit of a pattern on them yep. through the cameras. But all I really care about is this hub system has a buck I want to shoot. And, you know, then you put all the other factors that we've talked about, your wind direction, your, your uh, food sources that are dropping, your hot sign, everything else. And that's where I think he's at in that moment. And that's where I'm going to go. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm the same way with the, the, if there's not a primary scrape or hub scrape or whatever you want to call it, like if there's not one in the area, I'm not, uh, I'm not typically hanging around there too much. Like I, I just, I'm a big, big fan of using those and my cameras have showed me that they're just, I, I've been running cameras the last couple of years on signpost rubs. When I find them, I was never a guy that really even paid attention to rubs a whole lot, but I've learned some really interesting stuff and found that they will pass by them almost like they do with some of the primary scrapes and they might not hit them all the time, but they'll pass by them and are in the area. I'll have them in the background or in the foreground and just kind of at those. And they're normally at areas of, um, joining trails or like in, in a pretty, you know, decent area or like on a topography line that they like to travel. So it's, it's helpful, but. So with the rubs, with those signpost rubs, you know, like I'm, I'm not a big rub guy mm-hmm. unless it's like the real time early season, like, bam, there's a rub, there's a buck here. Yep. You know, I, I'm not really looking at the historical rubs or like even signpost rubs, even though they catch my eye, but I, I guess I, I could be. And that's something that if it works, I'd like to get into it a little bit more. So the, the question I have is, are you seeing them kind of check up on those year round or is it like late October? Is there a specific time frame of the year? You know, like when are with with hub scrapes, they hit them at least where I'm at and the ones that I target all year round. You know, I have yeah. inventory yeah. all year round. So what are those signpost rubs? Kind it, of it's it's more October, November um style with them. I'm same way with the hub scrapes. Year round I run cameras on them and they're working that branch year round. But uh from what I'm finding in my two years of really paying attention to those is just the October, November, I do get them passing by. Like I had my one target buck in the summer pass by it, but it was one time. So it wasn't yeah. like any, any sort of good information, but, but anyways, that, is there anything else you can think of there that I didn't ask you or that, that, um, yeah. Anything else with uh, early season? No, I'm pretty good. Honestly, man. I mean, that was, uh, just about everything that I can think of. Awesome. 
Well, Jake, let let everyone know where they can follow along with your stuff, check out your videos and everything there. Yep. So I do have a YouTube uh, with a couple of buddies. It's called Legends of the Hunt. We've got a couple hunts on there and hopefully we can just keep stacking that up. They're all public land, run and gun, bow hunting, and uh, hopefully something that you, you all can enjoy. And then you guys can follow along with me on Instagram as well. The thing I try to do on Instagram a little bit more is like these live stories. You know, I'll go up into a specific buck bed or I'll go into a specific like set for the day and try to give you guys like real time. Hey, this is why I'm here. This is what the wind's doing. This is how my milkweed's reacting. I'm trying to show all of that as good as I can. Um, so yeah, you can follow along. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I think there's a, a ton of good information in here and, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, Bo. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.